0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. In this podcast, I interview chainsaw carvers from all over the world so that we can learn from each other and feel more connected and just find out a little bit more about chainsaw carving and hear people's stories. Be sure to go and check out the other podcasts to hear from different carvers. Today we've got on Mike Ayers or Mountain Mike and Mike's chainsaw carving business is Mountain Mike's Whetstone Woodworks, and Mike is from North Carolina. He does a lot of carving, a lot of traveling, and he's very fast. Let's bring Mike on and hear what his story is and what he has to say. Hi, Mike. It's good to have you on.
1: Ah, thank you for having me on. I feel honored to be amongst the people that you've had on already. It's pretty, pretty impressive.
0: Oh thanks. Um so Mike, you're you're in North Carolina, right?
1: Uh yeah. My shop is located in Maggie Valley, North Carolina in the Smoky Mountains.
0: Okay, and what what is your shop called?
1: It's uh, Mountain Mike's Whetstone Woodworks, which actually Whetstone Woodworks was named after a, a place we real fond of my heart in Shenandoah Valley, Virginia.
0: Okay, cool. So, uh, the first question I was going to ask you, what what's your story? How did you get into chainsaw carving?
1: Well, actually, it started in uh, Shenandoah Valley, Virginia, in Whetstone. It's uh, Whetstone Ridge in Virginia, and we bought some property there, me and my uncle. And he got a sawmill, and we started building these little hunting cabins for us, and he brought a log to me one day, and he's like, hey, I- I've seen you draw, and I think you could carve a bear. Try it. So, then he hands me a, uh, what was it, a steel MS-290 with the 24 inch bar on it, the biggest bar you can have on that saw. (laughs) (laughs) So it took me about three to four days to do this bear. And I was all proud of it. I didn't look at any references and all that. And some of my neighbors saw it and they asked me to donate it to the little country store up the road and they just loved it. And then I started getting orders off of it. I was like, you know what? I can make money doing this. So it worked out pretty good.
0: Cool. Yeah. It's funny how a lot of times it, Happens by chance, or you weren't looking for it, and it just finds you.
1: Yeah, it does, you know. And I was working in a in a cabinet job that my dad owned the shop, and and I just can't stand making square boxes over and over again.
0: <laughs> sure. Yep. Yeah, I wouldn't like no. that either. <laughs> no, it's not fun.
1: No straight lines in art. Come on.
0: <laughs> I know it's funny. My my husband does more like wood furniture, and he he likes that, but I. It's not my favorite. It's different
1: parts of the brain, you know.
0: Right. So you're pretty well known for carving really fast. How how has that either helped or hurt your carving style?
1: You know, sometimes it's a curse. Let's say I know you went to the Australian Chainsaw Championships there at Sky High.
0: Yeah. And uh,
1: when when I went last year, it you know what really I got the smallest log during the log draw, so I'm like, oh great, you know known for being fast and you give me the smallest log. So what am I going to do with this log? So the good thing is my blockout was completely done the first day of the competition. So then it was just add on everything I could and all the detail after that. So, you know, I, you Mm -hmm. I felt very fortunate to be there in the first place, but then I placed in the top three, you know, so to get the automatic invite when they do it again, if they do it again. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm over there. first time I ever met Jeff Samadusky here, I'm meeting Hikaru Kadama, you know, and I knew these people, but I had never met some of them, you know, right. so that, it was a big honor, but that, that speed, I'm getting off subject, but the, the speed had helps and hurt. It was good for that competition because I could get straight to the detail work and I put threads and, you know, the stitching and all the cloth and then put the crucifix on St. Fiacre's neck and the crucifix had Jesus hanging on it and everything. So here I'm doing everybody else is working on these big monster pieces and i'm sitting here putting jesus on the cross and he's only three inches tall with the chainsaw you know adding all these detail work that's just crazy so when you start seeing that to be able to get through that block out so fast allows for that good detail time
0: sure yeah so it's definitely a big help in competitions
1: it is sometimes you know i I do a lot of auction-based competitions because that's kind of my forte where i can go in there and i can make a lot of product fast That's going to be able to sell it to a more affordable amount and you're just stacking the numbers you know so in an auction based competition every one I've ever been in I pretty much win yeah you know
0: have you ever found so I started out speed carving just I always was in quick carve events and sometimes I'll try to like get more realistic or alter my style and I'll slow down and learn a new way and I'm so proud of it but then, anytime I go back to speed carving, I just revert back. Yeah, like, like I don't. It doesn't look as good. Um, I have a hard time. It's almost like that muscle memory, and I can't. I can't improve sometimes when I'm going fast. Yeah, I,
1: I'm. I mean, honestly, a lot of people, and you touched on this before. With I believe Stephen Higgins was talking about the speed comes with time it it really does i'm going to tell you essentially the reason i started off as a speed carver it wasn't wasn't something that i wanted to do it was i was working a, a job where i'm working 12 to 14 hours a day and then i'm you know driving an hour commute to get home so then when i got home i had an hour to carve and that's oh, it sure. so i would get as much done in that hour I'd have all these orders and people wanting stuff and it's like the only way i can get these done is if i get them done fast right so I kind of just became fast off of that. It wasn't. And what's funny is a lot of people try to do the same designs and speed carves. Normally, when you throw me in there, I lose my mind and try to do something crazy off the wall. You know, here I, the, I was doing a show in North Carolina and it was a railroad town. And uh, so they wanted me to carve a train conductor. And I'm like, well, my, my carving shows are only 45 minutes to an hour is the longest I'll go because most people have a 15 minute attention span. You know, yeah. if they can't see what you're doing in fifteen minutes, they they don't hang around to watch. So right. So what I what I tell people with the speed carving anyway is if if you're gonna do a speed carving show for like a fair or something like that, you need to find a design that you can see what it is within the first five to ten minutes. Because that way the people that don't hang around, they'll still tell their friends, Hey, I saw that guy carve an eagle in five minutes. They don't care about the detail work. Sure. They just saw you make an Eagle in five minutes, whether it was finished or not, Mm -hmm. you know, so there, that starts to get word out and build a reputation. And that's kind of how I did it with the fairs. But getting back to the railroad town, I carved this train conductor looking at his watch and he's about four foot tall with all the detail work and everything. It was sealed. It was stained, sanded, stained, sealed and everything in, uh, was it about 55 minutes? Wow. You know, so I started learning to do these designs that were crazy, and I've had some influential other speed carvers in my life. I called James Dinkins. I don't know, you know, old old Jim. But
0: yep, yeah, we see Jim
1: up. Here he's on. been a huge influence in my life. I, I really do love Jim, and we always love to play around. And I tell people he's my nemesis. <laughs> that's probably the only speed carver that's beat me in every speed carving I've ever competed against him, and it's just him. So when he shows up. Uh, he's the guy I'm gunning for every time. But the good thing about that is he makes me push my designs and stuff. Like I would go to chaptacular in Georgia just to promote that event too. That, that event is, is a cystic fibrosis charity fundraiser where all these carvers are donating their time. And it is absolutely amazing show of force and talent, you know, and
0: yeah, I've watched it. It it is. You want
1: to, you want to talk about people that care and just to see that side of the chainsaw carving community, these guys aren't there to make money and they work for mm-hmm. some of them come in a week, a week over a week earlier, come back later and help, you know, the Nelson family finish carvings or carve carvings for sponsors. And it's, it's pretty amazing. But yeah, every year amazing. me and Dinkins are competing in the speed carve and he wins it every year. He does. He, he, he does. I'm always <laughs> second to him. So, but he pushes me out of that box. Like the first few years I would go and I would try to carve 11 to 12 pieces in that hour speed carve and I would be doing uh-huh. it. But when it would stack up the numbers, Dinkins would just do this incredible angel or this little incredible dragon. And he put so much into it in that hour that you're just amazed by it. And then it would sell for 3,500 bucks and make you sick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: But he would push me to try new design. So like this year, I went there and and I carved a hunter shooting at a jumping buck in the hour speed carve. It was painted and done and everything in that hour. And to carve two four yeah. foot pieces, especially to try to go for a jumping buck and a hunter that's holding a rifle in a standing position with camo pants and stuff on, it was he's he's definitely pushing me to go farther and farther.
0: Yeah, that's cool. It's great to have people that do that that challenge you and push you and. It's definitely how you are You know,
1: you're right. And the the one thing that i found very amazing to about the carving world is how much we're willing to share with each other. You know, and uh, you, I mean, every once uh-huh. in a while you run into that person's like, I'm not showing you my secrets. I'm not doing this. You know, the, the thing is, is there's enough people out there for all of us. There's enough business for all of us. And we don't have to compete in that business market against each other. You know? And, mm-hmm.
0: I know. I've even found that in small town Hackensack here, you know, with three hundred people, and there's a there's a few carvers around, and once in a while there'll be a new one, and we still are all very busy. We don't. don't
1: but yeah, you're not going to affect all. them. You guys can actually work together and get farther. You know, it's that brotherhood right. of it, brother and sisterhood of it, it. You know, I was in the Marine Corps, and that's the one thing when I got out is I was missing that. I was missing that brotherhood and that community with the Marine Corps and uh when i found the carving and started going to events which ridgeway was my first event ever you know i and i couldn't stay the whole week Mm because i had a job i could only get three days off so i went up there for three days i stayed up almost all night all three days (laughs) and uh it just exhausted myself but i went up there and i didn't get my log to the last day i was there and i get the hollow log it's probably two foot in diameter but it's hollow through the middle completely so it has about a six inch ring of sapwood is all that's there and it's frozen and dirty. (laughs) So, you know, I put an old chain on, on one of my saws and just kind of walked it through and got all the bark off of it. And, and, uh, my buddy Cliffy was helping me at that time. He helped me get all the bark and get it cleaned up. And this is when people really started to realize that I was, I had something to the speed carving because I get my log about noon on the last day that I can be there. And, by five o'clock when we shut the saws off, I've got this great like pierce relief safari theme with a giraffe, a rhino monkeys, birds, all this, all this stuff on it. And it's finished in just those few hours and everything. And then I just leave, I pack my stuff and I leave. Well, when I come back the next year to Ridgeway, you know, then Zoe Bonnie walks up, she's, are you the guy that just disappeared after carving that that safari scene in one day? I was like, yeah, that was me. She's like, that was amazing. (laughs) So here to hear somebody that's been in the business that long, give me a compliment. It was kind of.
0: And and remember me. it a year later. You know, it wasn't like it was the next day. Yeah, I
1: thought that was amazing. So then I kind of fell in love with the event itself. Came back the next year and and placed second highest at the auction out of 250 carvers. You wow. know, and then that, that led to a lot of stuff. You start. Some of these people go to rendezvous and they don't really, they think of it as a learning experience and it is. But when it came to the auction, I always tried to get as high up in the auction as I can. They don't realize how many people are watching that event. So, so it was sure. at that point that that uh, Bob King sent me a message and asked me if I wanted to go compete in the speed carving championships in Germany over at the Husky Cup. And uh, when you look at the history of the Husky Cup, how many carvers have actually been there, it's not really that many, you know. So,
0: yeah no that's incredible well yeah and i you know at
1: first i'm like hey i'm a, i've only been carving in like three years and i'm what am i gonna do i don't know what to do i mean i still had bob's message saved on my phone that's how humbling and honored it was. it was still saved on yeah. my phone and i transfer every time i get a new phone i transfer that voicemail you know so
0: yeah you listen to it when times get tough
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and that's that's what i do I, I listen to it every once in a while when i just need that inspiration yeah you know, so, but it, it it is, it's amazing the opportunities that are provided as you go. And
0: yeah, definitely. And just um, like you said, getting to Ridgeway, going to things that people are going to notice and networking and getting yourself out there, especially in the age of the internet, you know, people are going to see what you're doing. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. And that's, that's a big thing for, as, as carvers is, being seen. So that, that forum of where you can be posting stuff works out perfect.
0: Yeah. And I know, I know some people that have a really hard time, you know, posting what they're doing or self-promoting because c- they just don't, they feel like it's bragging. And I'm like, no, that's part of, almost like you're your own marketing department, right? You've got to get, get out there what you're doing and get out your message and your story and what you're working on. Uh, otherwise nobody's going to know.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. You have to be out there, you know, posting yourself and marketing and getting into these groups that work for what you know what you're doing. Yeah. So, but.
0: Okay, so I've I've seen you travel and collaborate with other artists a lot. Why do you think that's beneficial or worth your time?
1: Uh, you know, it, it, anytime you can collaborate, you gotta basically consider it like a educational experience you know you you pay to go to college and stuff like that and you're paying to go to these schools and learn stuff what you don't realize is when you get out and you start working with these other artists they have tricks that they've learned along the way from different shows and different people they've met and you know some of these artists have art backgrounds like i've worked with scott dow and and ken tynan and these bigger carvers and dennis beach these these folks have been in the business a while too, and they have that art degree background, especially Scott Dow. And you see the stuff he posts, and it's just like, man, I post a bear, and then he posts a bear that's ten times better. <laughs> At the same time, you're like, so you want to delete your post, but but I think I never do delete them. I leave them up there. You know, I kind of want the critique, whether it's good yeah. or bad. That information and feedback is priceless. But but going out and carving with these other carvers it really leads to a lot more stuff like you really grow as an artist and you you may be teaching them something that they didn't know and they may be teaching you something you didn't know you know so it's it's a priceless experience to go out and and in my first two years of carving i was just like i'm not going to carve with anybody else i'm going to stay hidden i hadn't seen any other carvers or anything like that until you know i didn't have a facebook account and i was kind of like this guy that liked to be in the woods and away from all the technology and stuff and then then i Got a smartphone, right. the stupid phones, but <laughs> they tie up all our time. But <laughs> and I started posting to these groups and realizing how many more people were out there in the world doing this. And and then I met uh, Lucas Pennington from the Sawbillies in Kentucky and invited me to come carve with them. And we started doing these different shows and went to Ridgeway and and <clears throat> working together with other artists it was just an amazing experience, you know. And from there, Dennis Beach invited me to come. Fill in with him at a show because his shoulder was hurt, so here I'm on the stage the first time, and me and Dennis are doing a four foot carving in seventeen minutes together. You know we finished a oh, wow. seahorse that's swimming through leaves or swimming through seaweed with fish and stuff around it, and we finished in seventeen minutes. It's just mind boggling, good, you know it was fun, it was exciting, yeah. got the blood pumping, and I kind of got addicted to that,
0: yeah. It's neat, too, to see just how other people do what they do, because a lot of times, you know, I think that I've got it figured out, and then I'll, I'll go work with someone else, and I'm like, wow, I really like the way that they, you know, manage their time, or I really like the way that they sell their product, or even... Even things besides learning carving technique, just kind of like lifestyle.
1: Oh yeah, you know, and I tell people all the time. And once you get into this, the carving's the easy part. It's marketing and selling it. That's the hard part. It really is stressful sometimes. You know, yeah. And I, I've done something, you know, with the the Mountain Mike nickname was given to me by uh, by my uncle Lane. He started calling me that because I'd spend every waking second on the mountain. The nickname uh-huh. became came before the carvings, but it's like, you know what? I can use this to kind of build a brand and, and a reputation, and, and it worked. It worked really well.
0: Sure. Cool. So I'm, That's neat that it kind of happened on accident or by chance. It did. It, did. it, it was
1: like it was meant to be. It kind of just lined up and worked out, you know? Yeah. So,
0: so- – What's your best advice for finding and getting into chainsaw carving events and competitions? A lot of people have a hard time with it. It's them.
1: really putting yourself out there. The work's going to get you into more stuff if people are seeing it. And I, for for me, what has worked is the technology and, and being able to post stuff where people can see it. And that's how I got invited. Now, don't be afraid to ask to get in a the competition. You, you, there's a Chainsaw Carver events page. I think uh, Butch Elrod runs that. I don't know. And uh, that shows you some of the events and you can pick up from there. Just go up there and ask on the Carver's page and let people tell you where events are at. You know, some of the, a lot of these events are starting to shut down or change and, and, and some of them are really hard to get into and don't be offended when somebody doesn't yeah. accept you into it. There might be 10,000 applicants, you know, and a, a lot of right. newer Carvers will get into it and they just think they should automatically be accepted. And they don't realize that some of these people that are at these events have been carving 20 or 30 years and, have the experience in this. They know the way to get in too, and their work, you know, that work's been out there standing for itself. So they've built that reputation of competing and people want them at their events.
0: right? And sometimes it's, events are only accepting, you know, 10, 20 carvers. So
1: absolutely. Absolutely. You know, even like Chaptacular, he was, they were trying to grow that really big and it got to the point where it becomes this big force. That's hard to manage. And you need so many people to run it that it's not beneficial to be yeah. that big. Right. So so they had to become more selective and they narrowed it down. So I heard people getting upset that they weren't accepted in the chaptacular. It's like, you know, they bring a lot of the same people back, but these people are putting a lot of time and dedication in this event. So, of course, that gives them a little priority on it. These guys are going to come in, you know, they're going to work hard. They're doing this out of the, the kindness of their heart and they like being at the event. So, of course, they're going to have a kind of that loyalty to those carvers as well. You know, there's a select group that comes back and they try to rotate some new ones in if they can, but it becomes a very difficult process just to uh, pick out carvers, you know?
0: Yeah, I think it would be tough. I've been on, you know, a lot of boards and things more with school, but um, I can't imagine trying to weed out carvers for an event. It's not a job that That anybody would want.
1: (laughs) No, no, it's almost what's a shame. You need a carver's experience to run some of these events, but you also, you almost need just an outside force that's not biased or not opinionated. And, but that's really hard to find because do you know a human on earth that doesn't have some kind of opinion? (laughs) Sure,
0: right. You know, we all have
1: an opinion about something, they're not always right.
0: Yeah. So you, I know, like you said too, with trying to get your work out there, I've found you know i don't i don't get to carve a lot in the winter because of teaching and just i'm not set up real well when it gets really cold up here but so i've started posting old stuff like hey remember when i carved this <laughs> because otherwise all winter i'm like a ghost and i'm not not posting anything so yeah and that's
1: not a bad thing to to recycle the images that you've posted before to show people that there might be people that missed it, you know, and there's an algorithm on Facebook and stuff too anyway, and it may not be getting circulated the first time you post it, but if you reshare it, it becomes new again, you know? Yeah. Your, your carving friends that have seen it before might be like, oh, why is she posting that again? But, but that's <laughs> all right. You're not trying to get them to buy the carbon, so don't worry about
0: that. I know. That's <laughs> a good know? point because I, I started seeing other carvers do it. Like, hey, remember when I carved this three years ago and I'm like – I. I have to do that because I'm just not working right now and feel like I'm not talking to anybody, not getting
1: anything. Yeah. Done. And that, that keeps you excited about it too. You're reposting a piece that, 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 you liked or enjoyed, you know, if you liked it enough to share it again, then you must've had something invested in what you like, you know? So. Yeah.
0: Okay. So what like tools, tricks or techniques should, should carvers know about what are some of the best things you've got
1: well you know what for me I, when i do most of my carving it's almost all saw eye tool and a flap sander i know robbie bass when i listened to his his podcast he was talking about the the sanding stars with the strips of paper
0: uh-huh
1: well i have you can order an arbor online i'm trying to think of the company but tractor supply sells them too it's a mandrel for your drill and it's just like okay. a couple washers with a bolt on it, and it fits right into the drill. And I bought sandpaper pads from Walmart. And uh they come in a three-pack, and you just drill a hole through the center of these sanding belts and just put them right on that bolt, and it and that thing works as one of the best sanders there is out there. And it's it's affordable. Yeah. The sand the three pack of sandpaper is like three dollars and something. So I go to Walmart and buy every pack of sandpaper. Or I go to Harbor Freight and uh I know Robbie mentioned Harbor Freight in uh, his uh, podcast that's because he was over here with me and I kept taking him to Harbor Freight but <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but we went over there and we go to Harbor Freight and buy the belts there and they have them really cheap where you can use them and it saves you a lot of money although a lot of people like to use the Sandiflex, and it is a good tool but I found that that making these santa stars is a little bit cheaper in the long run and I like the the finish that it gives
0: yeah I agree I actually I prefer the finish of the the homemade sanding star to the sand i have a sandoflex and i don't use it i know some people love it yeah. but
1: yeah i mean and for the right application yeah. the sandoflex is a great tool it really gets in there but i think the Santa star actually gets into more grooves and then once the paper you'll have a couple i'll have a couple different of them some of them will be wore out and that wore out one does a better finish on certain areas or so if you're just trying to touch the right. highlights and not knock any detail off you know a wire yeah. brush and nylox pads work pretty good too so
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I
1: mean, most of my stuff is is just actually I use a lot of standard bars. Like people are, what kind of carbon bars are you using? When I go to a speed card competition, I use a 550 and a 562 with a Tunie bar on it, a Canon Tunie bar. That's uh-huh. my only specialty bars. Um, now, when I draw with the saw or I do some black and white sketches or the etching with the saw and stuff like that, I'll I'll use a um, Makita ba- battery saw with a shorter bar on it for that. But when I'm normally carving, you'll see the Husky 390 XP in my hand with a 36 inch bar on it. And I use that for a lot of stuff to get wood moved fast. And then I go to a 562 mid range, which is a super fast saw for the size. And uh, I have a shorter 18 inch bar on that. That's 50 gauge. And then I go down to a bar. This is my secret right here from Walmart with a chain it's a 50 gauge 16 inch bar and I I, uh, file out the adjustment hole on it and drill two new oil holes so it flows a lot of oil but it's a standard roller tip bar it costs like $25 for the bar and the chain and they last me about a month and then I just chuck it and I put a new one on there sure but yeah, with the toonie bars, I find they just, they, no matter how much oil they're getting, for how hard I'm pushing them, I seem to to burn up the tips, or I'm getting the slack in the chains coming around the nose and wearing out the bottom of the bar, and just because I am really hard on saws.
0: I know, I've seen people carve almost an entire carving detail and all with a Husky 550 with like an 18-inch oh, bar yeah. on it. and. But I always watch that like, wow, because I, I have so many saws. <laughs> I'm going, maybe, maybe. I don't right, I'm going be
1: honest saws. with you. If I could only have <laughs> one saw for carving that, that I could get a hold of, it would be that 550 XP. They, they are just, the balance to weight ratio on them is just absolutely perfect. Like they nailed it. Now they've come out with the new, uh, was it the Max 2? They have a new one that cuts almost twice as fast as the other 550. It's crazy fast. But I'm when you go down to a fifty gauge bar they normally run a was it the three two five chain on that stuff so I switch out the sprockets to a three eights and then i uh then I'll put a shorter bar on it like that Walmart bar and I'll buy a couple different lengths. I'll have a sixteen and I'll have a fourteen and uh if I had only the choice of saws that would be my saws sure, I don't ahead. even need a carbon bar or anything I can do absolutely everything with that mini roller
0: Good tip I know I have. I like the 550 so much. I have two of them with different bars so I can just switch back and forth. And the newer one that I bought, that 550 XP, I, I think it was on accident. I didn't get it on purpose, but the one that the oh, yeah, dealer yep. had had heated handles. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in Minnesota and I was carving last weekend. It was five below zero, wind blowing, and I was at an event. and um.
1: Oh, it does. Actually yeah, it gets hot. I, I, you know, when I that. went to the, the Husky Cup. <laughs> they're like, oh, well, we got these saws. So I go in there and I see the 550s. I'm like, those are mine. I'm borrowing those. So I brought my carbon bars and they earned my yep. uh, tunies for those saws over there with me. And, and I'm just running this thing. Like my hands are melting. What is going on here? You know, I've never seen it before. I didn't know <laughs> anything odd. about it. You know, the 550 was fairly new. It had only been on the market a few sure. months and to know that they had heated grips, I had no idea. And it's just melting my hands off. So I walk over to yeah, to Dayton Scoggins, I'm like, what the hell's going on with this saw? He's like, he's like, oh, it's got them heated grips, man. Right. It's got them daggone heated grips on it.
0: <laughs> you do that pretty well. Oh, I
1: love Dayton. You want to talk about some wonderful people? Dayton and Michelle Scoggins are just two of the nicest people in the business, and just so willing to share stuff yeah. with you. I love them people. Yeah, that's yeah.
0: cool. So. Okay, so I've. I've seen you carve a lot of people recently. What's your favorite thing to carve, and what type of carvings challenge you the most?
1: You know what? When I when I I'll go back on a little bit of a childhood thing. This kind of leads up to it, but when I was a kid, I'd sit in my room and draw comic book characters like Spider Man and and Venom and stuff okay. like that. And I have a picture hanging in my shop from when I, I think I was eight years old. And it's this picture of Venom from Spider Man fighting. And uh, I, I drew all this and put all these details. You can see the brickwork, and that stuff really sticks with me. That's what I loved. you know. And I'll say this. When I was in high school, my art teacher hated my artwork. She, not to say that she was discouraged, and she just knew that I could push push to something else, so she wanted to see me do these charcoal drawings. and. Yeah. Etchings and stuff that doesn't have lines like comic book art that's the one thing about it it's kind of like anime it has definite outer lines it's not just about shading it's more about the lines right you know it's kind of like some of the pen and ink drawings you're using those lines that define it define it more than just the shadows and shades
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know so she she would always try to push me away from that but that was the one thing i was drawn to so now as a carver whenever i get a chance to not carve bears and this has been a current Theme or a recurring theme on your on the podcast and people talking about bears. I
0: know, (laughs) love hate with the bears. It's always well.
1: I I used to hate them, but I embrace the bear. I'm going to tell you that that is the secret to to running a gallery. To let's say running a gallery that works in a tourist town, and you're trying to capitalize on that constant tourism. I want every person that comes in the shop to spend, you know, at least a dollar. I don't care if they just tip me a dollar. You know, just spend at least a dollar to help me keep going, keeping my lights on, you know, keeping the bills paid and keeping the sales guy fed. You know, that's Mm kind of what I'm looking for is for at least every person to come in and spend a dollar. So I do that production and I actually enjoy production when my mind's hung up and I'm sitting there thinking that I can't, then I'll go to production. So, but With the production, when I get burnt out, the first thing that I go to that, that I feel like challenges me is I go start looking through comic book characters and stuff like that. And like And I don't know, like a month, I guess it was a couple months ago when I was doing, I did The Incredible Hulk, and it's like I don't have time to carve the full body, so I was doing these busts just to show these crazy expressions on their faces. Yeah. And, and that, that translates over to other things, too. You start seeing these these different emotions that you can put in these comic books, and they exaggerate their faces and stuff. so. That exaggeration works perfect in the chainsaw world because the the chainsaw lines most of the time are our, our carvings. We want it to work on shadows, and the shadows are created by these heavy lines created by the chainsaw, which I think is absolutely beautiful. Really,
0: yeah, you know, that's incredible. How you know that passion from childhood or the thing that you cared about in childhood translates all the way through. It really says something too about. Kind of for for me as an art teacher about nurturing what kids are passionate about and trying to build them from there. So that's that's a cool story. Yeah, I,
1: I think that is, that's the correct thing right there. Is I think if you see the kid, don't steer them away from that. If if they're really good at it, help them to pursue it because that's gonna pay off. Yeah. But I, you know, what always in my life anyway is that when people would put negative stuff towards me, it would actually I would turn that around to positive. Like hey. They don't believe I can do this. I'm going to do it.
0: That's a good skill to have to be able to do that because there's always going to be people in your life that are that are negative. It,
1: it you know it is true. And a lot of people when they see you start chainsaw carbon, they're just like, well, why in the world would you want to do that? You know, <laughs> right? I don't know. I just want to, and I'm you know, it, that's the thing that sets a lot of us apart from from what I'd say normal people is that we have this drive and we have this passion and, and we just found a way to focus it towards something that, that fuels us, you know? Yeah.
0: yeah. I know it's incredible. Anytime, no matter where I am, anytime I tell people I'm a chainsaw carver, they, the conversation totally shifts and they start to look at me like, Whoa, you know, she's different or maybe a little crazy or, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's, it always gets people thinking what in the world <laughs> it does
1: they're like why would you want to do that it's you know and it is it's a noisy dangerous uh dirty job but you know what that's what makes it fun although i gotta say i am tired of chainsaw uh-huh. noise some days but <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know because you, uh-huh.
0: Especially when you're at competitions and you hear it all day long, even when yours is off. That's my
1: is problem, off. is if I hear another saw running, I have to pick mine up. I cannot stand listening to somebody else's saw unless I'm carving.
0: <laughs> so that drives you. Keep going. Go it faster. does
1: drive me. Oh, you got, you know, I go back to, I, I'd like to kind of go into, and I know this wasn't one of the questions, but. That's okay. I'd like to go into when you're starting a business and that that drive to that it, it might not necessarily be something to do with carving, but that drive to do it it just has to be overwhelming. I, like I started off when I left the cabinet shop and went full- time carving. We, I took my wife and, and my son and we moved to where her hometown was. She, she grew up in that area near Maggie Valley. okay and uh, so I went and there was another carver in town. And I decided I'm, you know, I'm going to try to work with this guy because the two of us together, we can conquer the world if you bring in somebody else, you know? Yeah. So I, uh, I won't mention any names on it or anything, but we would go, I would go out of town to do shows and I'd come back and he'd sell all my carvings and he wouldn't have any money. So
0: Uh-oh.
1: It, 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 this it isn't, I'm not going to keep going with the bad part of it, yeah. but that drove me to want to get my own place. So sure. uh, there was a sawmill building up the road in Maggie Valley for sale. And uh, so I I was like, man, I can never afford this. This place, it's a full acre of commercial building. You know, it was originally appraised at like a million dollars. Yeah. But it was on the market for, for a third, a fourth of that, a quarter of that, you know. So I'm like, well, man, this is like an opportunity. So I called the guy, I said, I can't buy the building right now because it just moved to the area. I have a house that I'm trying to sell in Virginia and I'm still floating that mortgage, but I'd like to try to lease the place for a year. And he's like, yeah. well, we're, we've got equipment in the building. So we need a 10,000 or a $7,000 security deposit on the equipment. And I'm like, Oh man, I got to come up with $7,000. I had money in the bank for my job. I'd saved up for a year before I decided to leave to make sure I had the money. But now yeah. I'm floating a mortgage and now I'm going to have to pay rent to this guy. And I have to put a security deposit of seven grand. So I had to do first and last <laughs> month's rent too. So it put it, it, I had to give him $10,000 up front to get into the building. Wow. So I was like, I don't, I just can't do this. And I thought about it for a while. And I came back and I talked to my, to my assistant that was working with me. And I said, I tell you what, we're getting ready to go on the road. I have six shows back to back. Three of them are competitions. A couple of them are auction based events. I said, if we go out there and we can make, tw- you know, $20,000 doing these shows. So I'm going to have to win. Then I'll come back and lease the shop. That was going to be my deal. So I go out to Carving at the Casino run by Tom and Tom and Donna from T&D Carving. Um, great folks, by the way. A lot of good tools from there. So if anybody needs anything, they sell carving bars and burr bits and all that stuff.
0: Yes, I get packages from them all the time.
1: Oh, I love them to death. Just wonderful, fantastic people. But so I go up to their event. It's called Carving at the Casino in Salmanca uh, Salmanca Seneca, New York casino up there. And I, I show up and I decide I, the only way there's a lot of really good carvers there. You had Josh Landry's a super speed carver and you had Mark Bosworth and you had these Dennis beach. And I'm like, I've got to beat these guys. No pressure. Yeah. Yeah. These guys are really good and I'm going to win this. I don't care what it. So what I did is I stayed up. They told me I could carve uh casino hours and everybody that's been to a casino knows a casino doesn't stop. Uh huh. So for three days, I stayed up and carved for three days straight. (laughs) Yeah. I would stop and I don't recommend doing that because it's exhausting, but I would stay up and I would go take a shower. I'd come back out and I start carving again. But we did that for three days and I I won the casino by kind of a landslide that time. I kind of, the second place guy was, I doubled his auction prices and then the bottom Six carvers totaled together, couldn't even reach my total.
0: Yeah. Well, how could they if they were sleeping?
1: Yeah, they were going to sleep and gamble. <laughs> but
0: Oh, that, that's drive.
1: That's, I relate yeah. it back to the Marine Corps. I was in the Marine Corps in uh, 98 to 02, and they taught me this sense of drive. And then also my dad. My dad was a small business owner since the 80s, and I grew up in that environment with the small business and he would work weekends and he'd be gone. He'd be working, you know, 20 hour days to keep the business and build this. And, uh, I saw that and he's, he's put that in. If you watch all three of us, I've got two brothers and they're twins and uh, they work just like I do, but in different fields. So one of them took over the cabinet shop that my dad run and he's just been running with it and he's got so many ideas and he's just all over the place and just hard worker. And then my other brother does, hardwood floors so we're still all in the wood industry at some point which is crazy but if you watch us we just work like 10 times harder than anybody around us we're just always constantly go 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 go
0: what a cool thing for your dad to instill in you guys yeah he
1: did he was you know he was really I felt like hard on us when we were kids but then as I got older and started to realize what he was doing You know, and and how beneficial that was. Like I learned that that work ethic and that hard work. And and if you want something, it's not going to be given to you. You got to fight for it. Yeah, it worked out really good. I'll tell you.
0: Great life lesson. It is.
1: You got to pay attention to stuff around you. But I think once you start getting up into your 30s and stuff, you start to look back and realize some of those things that were happening. You know. And my yeah. dad always said that the money comes in your thirties. I think wisdom co- starts to come in your thirties, and you really start to realize it. So,
0: yeah, I would agree. I think it does too. Wisdom starts. To you
1: start come, to yeah. settle in and get and get smart about things and start making the right moves towards stuff. And and with even with me, I'm really, I used to be really impulsive about stuff, but I've I've learned to dial that back. I do really. I, I don't know i plan out and organize stuff before i make a move constantly and that's been very successful for the business like the carving business i've built has quadrupled in the past three years so cool that's it is incredible. you know I'm, I'm very fortunate i've met a lot of good people in in what i'm doing and people that are passionate about it and part of being a carver is is uh Your personality, that that personality goes a long way. And I know some other people had touched on this, too, but having a really good public relation with people and being able to talk to people. And even when somebody's having a bad day and they're yelling at you to be able to look them in the face and just kind of walk them down from that and and have that that trait to be able to talk with people, you know. So yeah. I love that. I love meeting people and talking to them. I mean, some days you get burned out on it when, when you've talked to 10,000 people that year and it's the same question, you uh-huh. know, the chainsaw carving questions, well, what kind of wood do you use? How long did that take? Yep. You mean you did that with the chainsaw? <laughs> My favorite is when they just watched you cut the saw off and then they say, you did that with the chainsaw. I don't know what to say at that point. <laughs> nope. nope. i love it people are just so they're so fascinated with them with it and they just don't even realize what they're saying sometimes so it's not their fault they're just really fascinated with what you're doing you're taking a really crude instrument i mean these chainsaws a really crude cutting device when you look at it it's it's like a primal thing Uh it was actually designed this is a story that i heard that the original chainsaw chain was designed after the wood boring beetles their mouth. If you look at the hooks in their mouth, that's how they oh. designed the cutter heads. Is what they said originally. So yeah, it related back oh, to nature is pretty. And then they evolved off of that. But that's where it had started that idea of it. So ah yeah, it my uncle's a awesome. wealth of knowledge with the with the timber stuff. Like I used to walk out in the woods with him and just spend days mm-hmm. looking at the trees. We figure out what every tree was with the leaves and without the leaves, just to, so we could identify them. You know, and now I walk around looking yeah. like, oh, there's thirty bears in that tree. Oh, there's, uh, you know, I think <laughs> <laughs> you start to look at it. But I respect sure. the timber too. Like I don't cut living trees. All the stuff I'm using is recycled timber. You know, from yeah. from things from the hurricanes or you know floodwaters or trees that blew over in the wind. I try not to cut any standing trees on purpose.
0: Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. We've had so many wind storms up here in the last few years that there's plenty of trees down. For the most part,
1: yeah, yeah, and I've had the occasional person get mad at me, like, "Oh, you're wasting wood. Why would you cut these living trees down?" It's like, no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not a lumber company. I'm not going out and deforesting an area for lumber. You know, I'm I'm taking trees that are going to otherwise sit there and rot. You know, and I'm even. I'm pretty conservative with certain things. Like I use canola oil. I use canola oil because it's environmentally friendly and it turns your sawdust into biodegradable material whereas uh
0: well you just made me feel really good because i use canola oil too so i'll say that's why yeah it is it's
1: (laughs) biodegradable and actually they did this thing in japan where they piled a pile of sawdust that had regular bar and chain oil it, and you don't realize how much oil is in that but when they piled it up they piled it up to like two meters high or whatever so i guess it's like six feet or something like that i don't know but uh they, yeah, we'll, we'll just say that, you know, <laughs> I should know as many times as I've been overseas, you know, we're using metric system, but, but they stacked one pile, let's say six feet. And then they, with the regular bar and chain oil, and then they stacked another pile at six feet with the canola oil. And as they, over a two year period, the canola oil sawdust had almost completely broke down into this soil where the other pile has okay. not even lost an inch other than the wind blowing it off it hadn't hadn't broke down at all this oil sitting in there preserving it oh, interesting. and uh, yeah and it leaches into the waterways that oils constantly as much roads as we got we're already running off enough oil into the waterways and for us to be promoting right. that and for what i carve i produce so much sawdust in the day that i just couldn't in my head i just can't think about putting any more of this stuff on the ground.
0: Well, that's a good way to look at it. And I selfishly too, I like the idea of canola oil spraying all over me rather than the barn chain oil because, you know, it gets all over your skin when it's, when you're carving. Oh, yeah. So,
1: yeah.
0: So we're saving the environment and we're making sure that we're healthier. Well, it's
1: another touch on that too. You know, I I started getting spots on my hands and I, I was really worried. I didn't start getting any spots on my hands until I started carving and I'd been carving about four years. And then I don't know, you, Scott Dow went through some health issues and stuff, and he had talked to me about switching over and stuff. And I, I went to see a doctor about the spots on the hand. He's like, oh, yeah, it's definitely from getting fossil fuels on your hands. That stuff is toxic, oh, and your skin is porous, I so it absorbs stuff like a sponge. So you're constantly absorbing that bar and chain oil. So.
0: Right. Yeah, I'm over here, like, making sure I have you know i don't even know what to call it but like organic natural healthy like lotion and makeup and then i'm like i'm spraying barn oh yeah and you can see it and
1: feel it on your skin later (laughs) on in the day too you know yeah so it is it's it's crazy we'll go through and make ourselves healthy in every other way and we're just slinging petroleum-based products all over us you know (laughs) know, fossil fuels is terrible i mean would you drink gas you, you really don't want to soak your hands in it either You know, our bodies absorb stuff constantly. So we're sitting here getting gas on us and I've watched people wash paint off their hands and Gorilla Glue by using gas. Don't, don't do that. You know, I, I will touch on this. You know, my, my dad was a tough guy and he would use lacquer thinner and stuff to clean wounds, like paint thinner. He poured in a bloody wound and stuff to, to clean it out. (laughs) Didn't that, that might seem tough, but that causes a lot of internal damage and stuff later, you know? So not something you want to be doing. Don't douse yourself in chemicals. And I even use a lot of water-based sealers and stuff now just so that my shop doesn't smell toxic inside. Uh, Right. I don't know. We can be environmentally friendly, even though we're burning a lot of two stroke (laughs) releasing carbon, but the amount of carbon Mm -hmm. we're releasing it, you know, it's not nearly as bad as people would think, but that, that bar and chain oil land directly on the ground is huge and detrimental to the environment.
0: well, is there anything else that I failed to ask that you wanted to talk about? Uh,
1: you know, with with the business and, and going into carving as a as a business-minded person, you know, a lot of people, I've talked to different artists, that are like, oh, you should never dumb down and, and you should only be doing masterpieces and stuff like that. But at the end, and I, I heard Stephen Higgins touch on this with the, with, you know, don't, overextend yourself, take on too much debt and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. if you do take on, like I took on a big shop that that somebody that's I'm doing all the manufacturing at the shop, you know, that's a different that's what's unique about this business is that we we're producing the product. We're selling the product. We're selling ourselves. Every little piece you make, no matter what you think, it has a little piece of you with it. Right. You know, whether you thought it was terrible or not, that terrible thought's still there with it. So it's still part of you. It's 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 helped to make you who <laughs> you are. You Uh know, but uh, don't necessarily worry about dumbing yourself down, and don't don't involve in your head. Oh, look what he's doing! Look what he's doing! Sometimes it's good to just isolate yourself and do what you do. Develop your style. Don't copy somebody else's style. You can use things that you've seen, but build your own style. You know that's very important in this business. And also, don't be afraid to do production. I have a gallery. If I kept my gallery with just masterpieces, it would be empty. I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with it. So what I do is. I come in and I say, hey, you know what? This morning I'm carving two hours worth of inventory. And and I set a Mm -hmm. schedule and I set a goal for myself every day. And in business, you got to be because you you are your own boss. But for me, I'm the worst boss I've ever had because I'm really, really hard on myself. And I don't Uh like to take days off. I don't stop for lunch. You know, I heard you talk about this in another one, too, where, you know, you're so involved in it that you forget to eat. And then you realize at like four o'clock in the afternoon, like I didn't eat. And you start to feel weak and stuff.
0: <laughs> I know art can do it's that. It's
1: consuming. <laughs> it takes everything you've got to focus on it sometimes, you know, and okay. when I'm running the saw, if people, I have a fence dividing me from the public, right back in my base. If people want to watch, I have signs there that says, please do not disturb. Because when I've got that saw running and I'm in a zone, I'm sorry, but I do not stop to talk. You do not want to yeah. lose that flow for any reason. So, but yeah, set goals for yourself in the business. If you're going to do a business, lay out a plan, set your goal, say, hey, this is what I'm doing and stick to that, stick to it. You can evolve and change it as you go and, you know, set a goal at the end. It might be a high goal, but nobody says you have to take a straight line to that goal. You can go around any path to get there, experiment, play around, do stuff. You know, I found, I do a certain amount of bear production. I call them bread and butter bears because they keep the lights on. And they will keep your lights on. If you're going to be a professional nope. gallery owning carver, and you want to make good steady paycheck, because a lot of people say I keep my job for the health insurance or I keep it for the steady paycheck. If you want a steady paycheck and you're in a good area, make bears, owls, eagles, turtles. Those things sell, and if they're constant sellers, yeah. I mean, when you go to a, a a big carving event and you see what the other carvers around, you are always going to see bears. You know why? It's because they sell and uh, don't be afraid yeah. to carve bears just make your own bear come up and make it fun don't make it boring don't like oh, i'm gonna go in and carve boring bears start making creative poses make them dance make them sing do whatever you want something that makes it fun you know
0: right yeah fun you, have, fun you have you have to make you, it fun yeah.
1: for yourself because it, it it will drain you and I've, I've gone through that lag too everybody does where you find this time where like i just don't know what i want to do you know and the carving career it's such an up and down process because in the winter time you're getting that 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 lag and i know everybody you northern carvers probably get it even more than we do but we in in the Smokies we do get quite a bit of snow in the winter we get real cold and our roads are treacherous because it's mountainous that you can't get out anywhere any in and out so a lot of times We don't have that winter people, and that's where a lot of our orders come in. I push all my summer orders to the winter and try to get people to wait. And uh, I go around doing tree jobs all over the place. I just did one in Illinois, and and I'm getting ready to do one in Asheville, North Carolina, and then one in Virginia. So I'm I'm just traveling around doing these tree jobs. And uh, the on-sites are good money, too, if you can get those. That's something, if you can get in there and you're efficient with it, that's something that can make you good money. but. But, you know, you still you're going to have to stop and do pieces for yourself, you know. And I've found that when I do pieces that I really enjoy and like, they may not sell super fast, but they do sell. They really do sell. I had a customer come in and I've got a big dragon that I wanted to do just because I wanted to. So I put it out front. I didn't even put a price tag on it. And he comes in and. I was like, "How much do you want for the dragon?" It's like, "Oh, it's not for sale." He's like, "I'll give you five thousand dollars for it." Like, it's for sale. I'll load it in your truck right now. (laughs) You're in love with it, but how in love with it are you? You know. (laughs) But it, 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 the business side of this business is is very tough sometimes, and you can't let that winter lag ruin you. A lot of people get it's up and down you, in the summertime. I'm, I'm awesome. I'm great. I'm this amazing business owner. And in the wintertime, I'm terrible. I'm not making any sales. I can barely pay my bills. So you have to plan for that. And you have to know ahead of time. Like I, every year I put all my money away from the summer. I'm not out buying crazy expenses. I go through the numbers. I figure out how long I could survive off the money I have put back. And normally I can survive at least three winters off the money that I have in the bank. So I always do that, and I'm always planning ahead because as sure. a full time carver, it it is tough. You're dependent on it, but I'm going to tell you, I'm a, I'm successful with it. I'm, I'm very successful with it, and I've seen some other carvers up and coming like Paul Wacklow and stuff like that. They figured out a way to market themselves and brand themselves that's gotten them out there, and they're really good at that. And that side of it does help. But you need to be yeah. if you're going to do this full time, you have to be business mind oriented and treat it like a job and you know it needs to be treated like a job put some kind of structure in it because if you don't set that structure and those goals you're going to fall behind on it and then you're you're going to get fed up and you may just give it up or even go back to a regular job you know
0: right yeah it'd be easy to do without the structure yeah it is if you're
1: not setting that's what keeps you in your regular job is having some sort of structure that's that's what works and that's why people stick with with what they call a regular job i've had another carver tell me he's like i'm going out to get a real job it's like so you don't consider chainsaw carving a real job? That first off, right there, there's your problem. Yeah, it is a real job. People, you you are making stuff that people don't need, honestly, but it makes them happy. Yeah. And everything we do in life is for happiness. We want to be happy, so make stuff that makes people happy. You know, it sells cuteness. Yeah. It does. It does. I heard Justin Driver touch on that too. And I go through. I did listen to all your podcasts. I went through. I had a eight and a half hour ride, so I listened to every one of them. Oh, cool! So I just—I was like, you know, I'm going to go through every one of them again, just so I could touch on some of those points or, or steer clear of some of those points. <laughs> <laughs>
0: sure.
1: But it, you know, it just—you got to have that structure with it. If you don't, you're going to get fed up with it. It's going to be hard. And you know, and the tax part of it—make sure you're you're paying your taxes and you're claiming stuff. We have a, a business that would be easy to hide cash, but don't do that. You'll get yourself in trouble eventually. You know, yeah. pay your taxes. I've seen Carver sink because of stuff like that.
0: Well, those are good tips. Have structure, set up a schedule, set goals, pay your taxes.
1: It's a business. Treat it like a business. Treat yeah. it if you want to be successful. Treat it like a business. Come in with the business mindset. How can I market myself? How can I sell my carvings? You know, it's really what I really try to do and set myself apart with just the carvers in the town that I'm I, I they're selling carvings unfinished and selling burn finished carvings or the square bears, the good old classic folk art square bears. Well, they are yep. cute and they are charming. There's a charm to that. This guy just did that in his backyard. It's a charm to it. People like that. But I've tried not to put myself in that category. I want to produce a product that's consistent, that's clean, that's polished, that's well finished. And I also stand behind my stuff. If it cracks, I fix them. I don't argue. And some people say that gets you into a hole. I don't think it does. You know, what happened with me is I sold I sold this big eight-foot uh standing black bear and the guy the guy comes back and he's like my bear carving cracked i said well where do you live he lived 10 minutes from the event i was doing i said after i'm done i'll come out there and i'll take a look and i went out and i repaired all these cracks and sometimes it could be as as simple as using latex caulk and caulk it in and then paint over it and at least it blends they're not seeing a crack and that's an easy fix a water cleaned up paintable caulking and i went out and i fixed this So after I fixed it, he comes out and he's like, well, I had two really nice bears, like a sitting bear and a a mama and a cub on the truck. So and these are high item, high dollar pieces. And he's like, well, you know, I I really like these pieces that are on your truck, but I wasn't going to say anything or buy them unless until I saw what kind of man you were. So after I fixed his bear, he bought both those pieces. And now I've become really oh, cool. good friends with them. But you build a, a, a relationship with that. You may not yeah. be able to get out there and repair it right away. But but if you tell these people that you're going to stand behind yeah. it and that you'll try to do your best to take care of it, or if they have issues, you can walk them through it. That builds a huge friendship yeah. and trust with your clients that actually makes them like family. And you should. You should try to make your clients feel like family. Well, it is. You know, I travel around. I do shows in Virginia. And I have I, I call it my family in each town. Right? <laughs> And i I do I have a friend named yeah. Verna and, and and she takes care of of uh some folks that are mentally disabled and she's adopted some kids and she's this wonderful person that just takes care of all these people and she's sacrificed everything to take care of of these people that would otherwise would have been institutionalized or been put in a hospital to be taken care of instead or the state would have taken and she's put these people yeah. in her house and uh, she's taken care of them and these these all the people like that she takes care of Jeff and Matt and I'm naming these names on purpose because these people have touched a spot in my life too, where it's become like, she's a second family to me. And then when I go to other places, I have second families there, you know, it, it it's just, it's amazing. So
0: cool. All right. Well, Mike, it's been really good talking with you and hearing all your stories and advice. I'm sure people are going to, well, you know,
1: to I you. really am honored to be on here. I, I think you, I feel honored because I'm amongst some people that you have interviewed that are just absolutely amazing and outstanding carvers in the world and the community. And I've had the opportunity to meet most of them. I haven't met Simon O'Rourke yet, but I've met everybody else you talked to at least once, I believe. So cool. now I haven't met you yet either. We're gonna to have to meet at some point.
0: I know. Isn't that funny? Like you mentioned earlier, um, I haven't, something like i haven't met these people in real life and there's a lot of people carvers in in the community that i feel like i know and then i think about it and i'm like you know i've never <laughs>
1: been a we minute. build a bond <laughs> through the work and through the <laughs> facebook page that's another thing that makes social media and the time we're living in so so special is that we can stay in contact and communicate in 2 seconds like you could call Simon O'Rourke on on facebook messenger or i talk to Robbie and yeah. i'm sure you call Robbie too and and you know he just calls yeah. up the chat from australia at any point in time you know i love that amazing
0: i know and it's nice that you don't even have to go through all the phone codes for international Uh, you know
1: when you go through facebook it just it is the worst especially you i heard you talking about that and robbie with telstra and stuff having to go overseas and trying to it was so terrible when i went to germany and australia trying to deal with the phone stuff they're like it's compatible so then you spend the money and then it's not compatible (laughs) you know
0: right So, but
1: fortunately, like a couple of hosts have had phones, like Robbie had an old phone. So we went and bought a Telstra card and put it in his Telstra mobile phone that he had. And so then we had phone service for that, that, you know, it was only like three gigs of phone service. You're not going to have it long, but it worked out perfectly or you can bounce from Wi-Fi to Wi-Fi. So it worked out pretty good.
0: Yeah. Cool. Hopefully we get to meet up sometime.
1: Yeah. Well, I need to get out west and or even central united states at some point i was so caught up at once a year going international and stuff too like going to england to sandraham carver's cup in uh april
0: oh cool that's so
1: exciting it is exciting it's a very exciting honored to be a part of that too i've always felt that way whenever i'm invited to an event it's just an, an honor to even be asked you know Yes. Yeah. so many amazing artists out there that when you do get invited you're like whoa, whoa they picked me what
0: right <laughs> yeah it feels incredible
1: does it it's very when you get there and you're very hum, humbled by some of these people and you and you see that a lot of these amazing carvers are very humble people too they're not very arrogant or or cocky like they can get in some things you know yeah it's amazing
0: mhm i agree
1: all right well, sure. was an absolute pleasure thank you so much
0: yeah thanks mike
1: no problem we'll talk to you later give me a call anytime
0: all right sounds good thank you for listening to the chainsaw carving podcast today Let's get the podcast out there so other people can learn from these great carvers. So be sure to like it, share it, send people a link. Also make sure you go check out our other episodes. And if you guys have any great ideas for who I should interview next, you can email me at wistywoodworks at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.